0: All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another day. Just to be able to gather together like this in unity of the faith as your adopted children by grace through faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. We are forever grateful, Father, that this is how you made the salvation plan to be that you even provided it at all, and that you made it by grace, through faith, not by works, so no man can boast before you. We are forever grateful. Father, we ask right now that you guide us by your Spirit. Help us learn your Word, understand how you think, your perspective, by your Spirit's power. We ask all these things in Christ's precious name. Amen. All right, carry on, soldiers. The good Lord isn't just watching. He's helping every one of us, part two. As you can see, this is a new series we started on Sunday. Um, Kind of a piggyback, you might say, to the Apostle series. Let's begin this way this evening as an offshoot of what we discussed on Sunday. As believers in Christ we're called to be ambassadors for Christ as well. As believers in Christ, we're called to be ambassadors for Christ as well. Up on the board, 2 Corinthians 5.20, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So there you have it. An ambassador, just think of an ambassador. Think of um, representing your country in a foreign land. Um, What's your job? A good ambassador represents his sovereign while in a foreign land. In other words, representing his king means representing his king's message, it's not his own message. As an ambassador for Christ, you're not entitled to change your king's message. In fact, we're, we're, you know, bound by oath, if you will, to keep his message pure and uh, to defend it. So as ambassadors and soldiers for Christ, we have no right to change or water down his message. So let that kind of set your mind and you know, set the stage for what we talked about on Sunday. Um, on the board again, regarding a good ambassador. How are we doing, DJ? There we go. We ought to share the Lord's message with integrity without compromising the truth. And at the same time, we do so in the love of our king. This is what a good ambassador you know, looks like. What, what's, what's his responsibility? He's not the author of the message. He's a carrier of the message. And he's under the authority of the king who sent him out. Again, we ought to share the Lord's message with integrity without compromising the truth. And at the same time, we do so in the love of our king. 1 Peter 3.15 and Ephesians 4.15, part A. Thus, the title of this series carry on soldiers. The good Lord isn't just watching, he's helping every one of us. And one of the things he's helping us do is be a good ambassador or be a soldier for Christ. He's with us every step of the way. Very encouraging. He's not like, you know, to quote some movie, an absent landlord. He's with you, he's in you, and He's literally empowering you and even giving you the words to speak. So we have instructions uh, to do our duty that's pleasing to the Lord uh, as our king. And the Lord is with you, helping you every step of the way through it, one day at a time, whatever the challenge or the opportunity that comes in your path. And don't forget, as you tell of his message, he is the one filling your mouth. And we must believe that and remember that by faith. He's the one filling your mouth. In fact, it's his responsibility to fill your mouth. He promises to fill your mouth. What do we do? We plan, right? And we uh, recite what we want to say in our head 50 times. When the Lord says, you know the message, you've studied the message, you know the message, you keep learning the message, that's all I want you to do. And when you're out there, I'm going to inspire you. I'm going to tell you which parts of that, you know, infinite Word of God, I'm going to tell you which parts to say. Do you trust me? Turn your Bibles to Luke 12, verse 11. Luke 12, 11. So this is the Lord's message that we're committed to sharing. And we do so in love. And he promises to fill our mouths. Do you believe that? Are you willing to operate by faith instead of your own planning? Luke twelve eleven. When they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not worry about how or what you are to speak in your defense or what you are to say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. So relax. Like literally stop thinking about what you're going to say. By faith. The Lord said that His Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. And it's going to be what that person in front of you needs to hear, which you have no idea what they need to hear. You have no idea what they've been through in their life. You have no idea what they just read an hour ago. And the Holy Spirit says, watch this. This will be fun. I'll give you this thought even though it doesn't seem to make sense to this person, and you watch how they are convicted because of what I've already put them through. If we don't trust him, we kind of risk losing that wonderful supernatural um, peace, part of being his plan for that person. So again, in verse 12, the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. And in that very hour means not ahead of time not ahead of time, which means you have to operate in faith. That's the Lord's great desire. Guess what? He gets all the glory that way. You didn't plan the message. You didn't persuade people. You didn't premeditate it. He gets all the glory for filling your mouth. And faith is what the righteous live by, one day at a time, as in Romans 1, 16 and 17. Remember, the Lord is saving us daily or day by day. And this includes how to operate as his representative. So Sunday's message was largely about telling the truth in love and not shying away from exposing the lies that are made about our king's message. Telling the truth in love and not shying away from exposing the lies about our king's message. If you're an ambassador in a foreign land, representing your king or your president, whatever, and somebody says something that they're claiming your king said, and you know it's maybe even directly opposite what your king said, what's your job? It's pretty clear. You're not supposed to stand there with your mouth closed. You're supposed to speak up, speak the truth in love, but speak the truth, right? So, what should we do if someone misquotes our king? That's what this whole conversation has been about, you know, regarding um, dealing with Roman Catholics that are dedicated to their their faith, is if they're going to speak up and say something that is contrary to the king's message, we're bound to speak up. As the Spirit's recent emphasis it comes back to faith in the Bible as the Word of God and not giving it to some distorted view or version of it. We received a stern warning on Sunday from the Spirit to not give in to those who claim the Roman Catholic Bible and their doctrines are the same as those of Christianity. They use the name of Christ, but if they're sticking to their doctrines, they're insulting the name of Christ because it's not by grace. It's by works and a whole bunch of other things, as we noted. The fact is, if people adhere to the Roman Catholic doctrines and Bible, they have a perverted version of Christ's message and salvation. It's perverted. It's twisted, unfortunately. And we must be honest and tell them the truth of the matter for their own salvation even. So on the board, our duty is our duty. I know, I keep checking. I got to trust you, D.J. I know, I got to trust you. Our duty is our duty. Whether others accept or reject the Lord's gospel, that's not even our concern. That shouldn't affect our faithfulness to our duty. Our job is to be good ambassadors and soldiers for Christ, honorably representing our Lord and King in the sphere of love. Pretty simple. Our duty is our duty. Whether others accept or reject the gospel, whether we think they're going to accept or, or reject the message that we transfer, all we're doing is transferring a message, right? Whether they, we think they're going to accept it or reject it, that shouldn't be our concern whatsoever. We should just worry about being faithful to our duty as an ambassador uh, and a soldier, representing honorably our Lord and King in the sphere of love. Thankfully, some Roman Catholics do not adhere to the doctrines of their church. In fact, many probably don't because they don't even know them. They don't even study them They just do what they think they need to do, obligatory in some way. And for some encouragement, my father and I met a woman in the park on Saturday who said she was Roman Catholic when we asked her. Uh, We started doing this little survey thing, which has about five or six questions to kind of open people up a little bit and find out what they believe. And the middle question is, if you were to die tonight... Where are you going and why? And it opens up a great can of worms there. You get all kinds of answers. But this Roman Catholic woman said to that question, I'm going to heaven because I've been saved by the blood of Jesus. And upon further review, upon more questions on that topic, she gave biblical answers. Thank God. So it's encouraging, but it's also rare among Catholics, where most will say that they hope to go to heaven because they're a good person. But all is not lost. And the Holy Spirit, you see, the Holy Spirit convicts those who are humble to the truth. He convicts them of the truth if they're humble, regardless of where they're at, whatever religion they might be wrapped up in or tied up in, and maybe they don't you know, know any better yet or they don't know the Word of God yet. We all were there, weren't we? So regardless of that, the Holy Spirit gets in there. If somebody's humble, he's going to give them the truth, and they're going to cling to that truth. Thank God for that. So this isn't saying Roman Catholics can't be saved. But if they hold dearly to the doctrines of the Roman Catholic Church, they have a big problem, probably regarding salvation. So let's be reminded of the lies that we need exposing, or that need exposing, which hopefully will save some from eternal condemnation in the process. We were reminded that the Roman Catholics have a different Bible than the one inspired by the Holy Spirit, which was compiled by the early Church Fathers. The Catholic Bible has added 14 books to the original Bible, and that was done hundreds of years after the Bible was already put together. And as Pastor mentioned on Sunday, maybe even worse is the fact that the Roman Catholic religion teaches that the Bible is not the final word of God. It's not the final say. It's not the final authority or message from God. The Roman Catholics claim that there is extra biblical special revelation, just like the Mormons do and the Jehovah's Witnesses do. Extra meaning, they add more material to the original Bible and claim it is also the revelation of God. And the Roman Catholics claim there is more special revelation that comes directly from the so-called church and from the Pope as the vicar of Christ. So it gets really disgusting because it undermines the authority of Jesus Christ himself. Because remember, Jesus is called the Word. So if you're, if you're adding to the Word, you're adding to Jesus Christ and His very Gospel. Think about that. If you mess with the Word, you mess with Jesus Christ because they're one and the same. And some people might do this unwittingly or ignorantly, but nonetheless, it is a grave error and one that leads to deception even about salvation itself. So we have the opportunity to step in with certain people at certain times and be a good ambassador. Give the message from the king the best we can, by grace through faith. Trust that it will fill our mouths. And by God's grace, we might help save some. But the last thing we're supposed to do is to sit back and not say anything when lies have come forward uh, you know misrepresenting the king that's the last thing we should do is sit back and not say anything I mean who do you serve we have to ask ourselves who do we serve ourselves our own comfort our own reputation if we trusted in Christ as Lord and and Savior we have a um, you know how do you describe it, right? What we owe him, so to speak. But we can bring nothing to the table. All we can do is let him use us. If, if we're willing. So here are some of the heresies of the Roman Catholic Church that we saw on Sunday. And they're an attack on your king and your savior. The one whom you are to be a good ambassador for. So on the board, Roman Catholic heresies. Rejection of sola scriptura, which means only the Bible is God's special revelation. They also claim the Pope is vicar of Christ, which means Jesus' is substitute as head of the church. They believe salvation is not by faith alone in Christ alone. They include human works for justification. And they believe in a place called purgatory. Not all believers go directly to heaven upon death, which clearly the Bible says all true believers do go to heaven directly upon death. So these things add and twist the truth. So, you know, that's why maybe the Spirit's educating us right now, because we all will deal with some Catholics in our walk, in, living in this area, and our job's to be prepared. Our job is to be ready to make a defense for the hope that is in us. It doesn't matter, listen, it doesn't matter what you say, and it doesn't matter how good you are at saying it. It matters that you know the truth, that you trust God, and He'll fill your mouth when the time comes. Have you ever said something to somebody about the Lord and wondered where that came from? Like, have you ever said something to someone about the Lord and you're like, I didn't even know I knew that. I mean, that's crazy. And that's how you know, you know, you're getting out of the way and you're letting the Spirit do His job. So, these on the board are some of the objective differences between Roman Catholicism and true Christianity. Okay, I thought you changed the DJ. These are objective differences. These are not like... um, Opinions, these are not subjective opinions that aren't founded on Holy Scripture. And that's what hopefully, um, if, you, if you get to share these things with a Catholic person, they see that you're just stating the facts and you're pointing out that these things aren't in the Word of God. And you're doing it in love, of course. So t- taking a step back for a minute, think about how you view the Bible. Think about how you personally view the Bible. Is the word of God precious to you like it was to the psalmist that we read in Psalm 119? Is the word of God precious to you? If people really believed the Bible is the inspired word of God, wouldn't they treat it as dear and precious and vital to their health and survival? And include yourself in that question. If you really believe the Bible is the inspired Word of God, shouldn't you be treating it as dear and precious, as like the most important thing in your daily life, vital to your health and survival even? If that's your perspective, the Bible says you will be blessed because you will honor the Word as being directly from the mind of Christ. If that's not your perspective in your heart, then pray for more faith. And none of us is ever there all the way. So pray for more faith if you need to. In other words, and and I, I, I look at myself too. I can say this about myself. I'm not always treating the word of God as precious as I should be if I really believed it all the way. Like, why don't I, um, you know, lay down my life for it, so to speak? Why don't I honor it in such a way that it's the most important thing to me? The flesh gets in the way, of course. And uh, we need to pray for more faith like the apostles. That's why that series was so encouraging these apostles that did these amazing things for the Lord were also amazing knuckleheads. It was awesome. It's wonderful. It's, it's good news to us. It's a good example to us that these men who did these wonderful things for God humbly chose to be used by God were, at times, colossal failures. You know? So why don't you believe all the time? Well, why didn't Peter believe all the time? Why don't you trust the word of God like like it's your very sustenance? Why didn't they? Because we're stuck in these fallen bodies and, you know, they're decaying. It's a battle, the flesh versus the spirit. But God says, I'll still use you. If you just don't quit, if you just keep following me, I'll still use you. Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 119, verse 1. It's pretty humbling, isn't it, to admit that you're not as dedicated to the Word as you should be or that you don't look at it as precious? Remember, our role in this whole plan of God is just to humble ourselves before Him. And then He does all the work in us. Psalm 119.1 How blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. How blessed are those who observe His testimonies, who seek Him with all their heart. They also do no unrighteousness. They walk in His ways. You have ordained your precepts, that we should keep them diligently. Oh, that my ways may be established to keep your statutes. Then I shall not be ashamed when I look upon all your commandments. I shall give thanks to you with uprightness of heart when I learn your righteous judgments. I shall keep your statutes. Do not forsake me utterly. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart, I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart, that I may not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. In that passage, the heart is mentioned several times. And as we know by now, God looks at the heart, and that's what he's after. In verse 11, for example, the psalmist said the word was treasured in his heart. And more accurately, in the Hebrew language, it actually means hidden in my heart. It refers to hiding or covering or protecting God's word. And where is it done? It's done in the heart, which we've seen recently refers to a combination of your feelings, your will, your intellect, the very center of a person. That is a supernatural thing that God put in you. It's our inner being, our very motivations and intentions. That's what God is hoping we do with his word. Treasure it, hide it, cover it, protect it in our souls, guard it as precious. This is the protective, reverent attitude God wants us to have toward his word. And when we submit to him in this way, in humility, we are delivered even from sin, in verse 11. What, what's the result of treasuring his word in your heart? That, that you may not sin against him. You know, you're like, <laughs> we've all been there, right? How do I defeat sin? How do I get over this particular area of weakness in my life? Well, stop focusing on that. Start treasuring his word. Start hiding his word in your soul as precious, as a pearl. Remember that parable? The man that found the pearl in the field, he dug it up and then he, he, he buried it again and then went and sold everything he had to buy that field. He hid it in his heart, so to speak. This is the most important thing in my life. So he will deliver us through that attitude about his word. That's what we've been seeing. We saw another section of Psalm 119 on Sunday, and we must ask ourselves if this is our perspective. And if not, why not? Look at Psalm 119, 103. Or oh, actually, this is on the board, too. On the board. <clears throat> How sweet are your words to my taste. Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. From your precepts I get understanding, Therefore, I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So we have to honestly ask ourselves, is that our heart's perspective? I mean, we're not talking about, you know, most of you are here. Those of you that are here that are regularly, you know, attend, you're seeking God's word to a certain degree in your life, which is wonderful. But let's talk about like our motivation Let's talk about our intentions, the intentions of our heart. Is this what we say in our heart? How sweet are your words to my taste? Sweeter than honey. Not me all the time. It's not the attitude of my heart all the time. So <laughs> we all have a long way to go. But if we, if we um, you know, again, day by day, the Lord is saving us if we humbly drop down on our knees, so to speak, before His Word every day, He's going to develop, you know, sanctify us. On the board, a light to my path speaks of deliverance and sanctification. That's what the Word does. Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your Word sanctifies me, delivers me, shows me the way to go, shows me how to keep my way pure according to your word. If you want to get in the way, become familiar with the holiness of the word of God. But then we're talking about walking in the flesh, aren't we? Even though the words of the Spirit are right in front of us. We all do it. As we heard on Sunday, the Spirit will always testify about the word. And if we're humble, we will receive it. We will see it and understand it and even be and give good testimony ourselves. On the board, in John fifteen twenty six, when the Spirit comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth. When the Helper comes, I'm sorry, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. He will testify about me, Jesus said. He will testify about me. Remember in John chapter 1, the Word was God and the Word became flesh. So when Jesus says the Spirit will testify about me, the Spirit's going to testify about the Word too. They're one and the same. In our journey of being saved daily, We decide each day if we want to be delivered by faith in the word or go back to the bondage of doubting. Every day that choice is before us. Will we humbly submit to the word and decide to consider it precious and holy and see what the spirit might say to us today personally? Or are we going to live a life of doubting and go back into bondage? It's our very, like, you know, life source, folks, spiritually. Like, God even gave us this. And in our country, we get to have multiple copies if we want. It's our life source. It's, it's, it's breathing spiritually. It's, it's, it's God himself. It's the mind of Christ. But we decide every day if we're going to be delivered or not by it. So that's why every day we wake up, the first thing we should do is thank God for life itself, which none of us deserve, and thank God for his grace and mercy. And how about turning to his word? What a concept, huh? Even if it's a verse in the morning, even if it's praying and asking God to uh, bring a verse to your remembrance from yesterday or something or from the lessons or whatever, in other words, what's your attitude towards the Word? What's your priority towards the Word in your soul, in your heart? On the board, regarding deliverance, we get familiar with the holiness of the Word. But freedom is on the other side of familiarity. It's only when we turn away from that horrible habit of being familiar. And we look at God's word again when we wake up every morning as precious, as whoa, God gave me his word. Like it's all right here. Like why aren't we walking around hugging our Bibles? I don't mean literally. If you do that, you know, they might throw you in jail or something these days, who knows? But that's our that should be our heart's attitude towards towards the word. So again, we get familiar with the holiness of the Word, but freedom is on the other side of that familiarity. On the board in Hebrews 4.12, for the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit. What else can divide the soul and the spirit? We don't even know what it looks like. Forget somehow getting in there and dividing the two. But the Word of God is supernatural. It's the mind of Christ. Piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Only God can do that. And so you have the power of the Word. The Word, which is God, even knows what's going on in your heart, your motivations even. Think about that for a, for a minute here as I sit. Think about that. The Word of God, God himself, even knows what's going on in your heart and your motivations. <laughs> I struggle with this sometimes. I go through my day and I'm like, I'm even trying to figure out my own motivation. Am I doing this for the right reason? What's my motivation for doing this? And then you start rationalizing and justifying a little bit, right? And then you're like, am I rationalizing right now? No, I'm not rationalizing right now. Yeah, maybe I am. Why? Cuz you you don't even you can't even figure out your own heart. You can't. You know, deceived and desperately wicked. But God can, and God does. So, and what's our job again? What's our role? To be humble. That's that's the only thing we can do to let the Word of God rescue us, so to speak. To let the Word of God get in there and do what it's doing. And and even revealing your thoughts and intentions of your heart. Wow, crazy stuff. But He'll do that for you if, if we just keep, you know, humbling ourselves before Him by grace through faith. And we experience the very power of the Word when we submit to Him. So on the board, we must stand firm and guard our hearts regarding the status of the Word of God in our own souls. It is absolutely holy. Stand firm and guard your hearts regarding the status of the Word of God. In other words, what you think about the Word of God, you actually have to protect that in your own souls because your own souls are going to be attacked by the world By school teachers, by people at work, by science scientists, so-called brilliant men. Your position, your opinion of the Word of God, is going to be attacked in this world very subtly. So stand guard, guard your hearts. One last reading from the psalmist in Psalm one nineteen. Look at verse fifty-seven. Psalm 119, 57. The Lord is my portion. I have promised to keep your words. I sought your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your word. Psalmist was very smart. He was even, you know, leaning on the Lord saying, Lord, you promised to do this in your word to be gracious to me, for example. And he sought the Lord with all his heart. That's our objective, we might say. The Spirit's recent message has been very clear and direct. On the board, the Word is the source of deliverance in our lives. Very simple. That's what the Spirit's been telling us now for a few weeks, through blogs and messages. The Word is the source of deliverance in our lives. You want to be delivered? You want to have peace and happiness and contentment? You have to honor the Word, just like you would honor God, because they are the same. You want to be delivered? You must worship the Word. That's your attitude toward it, and that's how you treat it, and that's how you go into it. And you'll be delivered. So here's a question for all of us. When we're in trouble or confused about something in our lives, do we go to the Word for help first? Who's your go-to, in other words, when you're in trouble? Do you go to your pastor first or your brothers and sisters in Christ first, or do you go to the Word first? Why don't we? I don't even do that. Why don't, why don't I? Here I am teaching you, right? Why don't I do that? Kind of foolish. Have you ever used a concordance to look up verses that discuss your problem? And why not? You're having a p- trouble in a relationship or, or, or regarding a certain topic in life, a certain problem in your own life, whatever. Why don't you grab a concordance, either online or in the back of your study Bible, and look up a couple key words that you're going through, and go look up the verses and read them in context. Don't just read one verse. Read a few verses before, a few verses after it. But why don't we do that? The few times I've done that in my life, I've been relieved of my problem and my anxiety, and I know how to handle the situation. Why don't we do that? The Word should be looked to daily to solve our problems even. Not even our pastor, not even our pastor's messages. The Word, you and your personal relationship with God, part of it is receiving from our pastor. Part of it is going home and, and you know dissecting or digesting the messages and the scriptures that were given during the service. And be like, why is the Holy Spirit bringing up this scripture now? And going home and like, personally receiving it from the Lord. And that word, you know, this word is given to all of us individually by God. It's not just given to pastors and we rely on our pastors teaching for our whole spiritual sustenance. He's a tour guide, as we've learned. Our job is to go home and take it personally and even, you know, dive into the word and Say, this, this is the problem solver. What do you have to say about this, Lord, or that? If we really believe the Bible is the word of God, then why wouldn't we go to it first for all of our concerns? If you knew about a life-saving medicine, would you not take it? If you knew the answers to the final exam, would you not study it? Foolishness, Right? But once again, you see, it comes back to faith. Because if if you don't really believe this is the Word of God or you're not sure this is the Word of God, you're not going to go to it for all the answers in life. It comes back to faith. Are you willing to trust? And God's given us plenty of evidence if you read it. But are you willing to trust that the Bible is the Word of God in your own life, personally, in your own heart? Because only a surrender to that truth is going to, bring about deliverance in our lives. It's the very pages of Scripture that give us encouragement and light the path that we're to walk. On the board, that's what we learned in this series on the apostles and what the apostles lacked. Understanding humility, faith, commitment, power. It was very encouraging to us because we know our own faults and our own inabilities, our own shortcomings. But as Pastor mentioned on Sunday, the flesh will not be encouraged by that series on the apostles, talking about what they lacked. Some religious people might even defend them and say, hey, they're, they're holy, great men of God. And they were, by the power of the Spirit. But they put them on a pedestal. And they want to put them on a pedestal so they can try to achieve what they achieved in the energy of the flesh. You see, the flesh, and this goes for every other religion in the world, the flesh sees works as the basis for salvation, not as the result of it. You get that? The flesh sees the works, good works, as the basis for salvation, not the result of it. That's the horror of religion. That's the scariness of religion. Because it it fools, it feeds the flesh. It's like giving a monster, you know, treats and making him stronger. It feeds the flesh to say, I can do this on my own. I can impress God like the apostles did. I can be better than most others that are watching me. Watch this. And the flesh loves every minute of it. And that's what religion does. Uh, It puts the cart before the horse. And it's horrible because it denies the Lord's salvation. This is why most Catholics need to hear the grace and truth of the Lord's gospel. Because they're stuck in that way of thinking. I know I was one of them for years. Many of you were too. Stuck in that way of thinking. It's hard to even put your finger on it. But... In their heart, in their heart, they think that they can be good enough and impress God on their own. That's the problem. And it takes heart surgery by the Lord Himself to cut that open and to say, you're way wrong here. You're deceived. You're buying a lie. And thus, the need to understand what the Bible says about man's total depravity. Like in Romans 3, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's our job as ambassadors. We've got we to gotta tell these people in love, even though they're not going to want to hear it sometimes. They're going to deny it. But what's our job, too, to plant seeds? Oh, we don't make it grow. God makes it grow. Do your job as an ambassador. Do your duty. Give the accurate message of the Lord's gospel and let him go to work on their, in their souls. It doesn't matter if they're going to reject it or accept it. Do your duty. Be a good ambassador. Give the proper message. This is what they need to hear, need to realize. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No one's good enough. If if someone could be good enough, why did Christ come and go to the cross voluntarily? Many religious people don't understand The passages that tell us God has deliberately chosen the weak to bring him glory. How awesome is that? Chosen the weak to make them strong and make them do supernatural things in their lives. All to the shame and embarrassment of Satan and the fallen angels. And all to the uh, shame and embarrassment of, of people that refuse to think they need Christ. They want to appear strong, and by doing so, they miss out on his amazing grace. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 1.26. Tell the truth in love. They may not want to hear that they're weak, but they need to hear that they're weak. And if they want to reject it, it's between them and the Lord. A good friend tells the truth. 1 Corinthians 1.26 For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong and the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are. What's he going to do to the things that are or that think they are? He's going to nullify them. It means, like, cancel out by using the things that are not, the things that are unable. We're all unable, but he's going to use the ones that admit they're unable, the ones that are humble before him. Why? Verse 29, so that no man may boast before God. God gets all the glory. And we love it as believers, but the flesh doesn't like that. The Roman Catholics don't understand for example, that it's actually good news to realize you're a hopeless and helpless sinner. It's actually good news. Because God didn't leave you to yourself, to your own results. It's good news because you can now stop striving in the flesh and you can stop trying to complete an impossible task. That's what religious people are doing. They're trying to complete an impossible task. And you can give it up to God in Christ as your only hope of being saved and let him take it. Let him take you from there. It's that person that's going to be saved because he was humble enough to humble himself under the mighty hand of God. Plain and simple. Go to Second Corinthians twelve nine. Give it up. The Holy Spirit's got me write, writing a little, a little, you know, blur blog, whatever you want to call it. Um, which sometimes go on, on the evangelism website, Christ Saves Ministries, but it's called Raising the White Flag. And really that's, to me in my own soul, what, what is a picture of what true salvation is all about and accepting the gospel. Um, raising the wh- white flag. Okay, I give, I can't do it, and I need you to save me, period. Second Corinthians twelve nine. And he has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's what the Word of God says. If I refuse to admit I'm weak, I'm not going to be truly strong, even though I'm trying to be strong or give a facade, an impression. But in God's eyes, it's not the ways of the world. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. So we're called as ambassadors and soldiers for Christ to protect and defend the veracity and the sovereignty of Holy Scripture and what, what, these, things, what these points bring out. We're to protect and defend this truth, our king's message, and let people know the reality of the situation before it's too late. Turn again to 1 Peter 3, verse 12. 1 Peter three twelve. It's really simple to follow Christ if you think about it, right? Jesus says, follow me. Follow his word and submit to the word and share the word. 1 Peter 3.12 For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is there to harm you? If you prove zealous for what is good, the spirit emphasized that on Sunday, who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good, but even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed and do not fear their intimidation, i.e. religious people, the backlash you get from religious people, do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you with gentleness and reverence. On the board, it's just like in Ephesians 4.15a, speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. Again, verse 15 in 1 Peter 3 but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. This, there's, that, there's that hiding him again or protecting or covering him as, as if a pearl. You are hiding a pearl, your riches. Sanctify, set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts. It's a calling to each one of us. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. How? with gentleness and reverence. Be an ambassador. Share your your Lord, your King's message. All all doing so while in the sphere of love because that's who He is. Amen? Look at 1 Peter 3.16. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than doing what is wrong. What a privilege that is. To be a good soldier and ambassador, right? To give the message like accurately and honestly and with integrity, to give his message and then to be shunned for it. What a privilege in the eternal perspective. Remember the disciples and I think it's the end of Acts chapter two, when they got whipped for, for preaching Jesus' name. And the Bible says they went on rejoicing, that they, they were considered worthy to suffer for his name. What a privilege, verse 17. It is better if God should will it so. Notice that how it starts out. It is better. It is better that you suffer than not suffer for his name. And in eternity, we'll see that for what it really, really means. But it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh but made alive in the Spirit. We ended on Thursday with a little reflecting, and I made a small change here per the Spirit's nudge on the board. When we're weak, we're strong. We need His power to bring glory to Him through the spreading of His gospel. It's His gospel, right? He is the good news, actually. But it's His message, isn't it? It's not our own. We need His power to bring glory to Him through the spreading of His gospel. That's what we're sworn to do as an ambassador for Christ. And we're reminded here that it's all about him. It's all about him. Even in the work we do for him in spreading his gospel, nothing is of ourselves. Nothing is of ourselves. Why are you good at certain things? Everyone in this room is good at something. You are. You're good at taking care of people. You're good at uh, maybe making money or like operating a business. You're good at uh, talking to people. Maybe you're good at sewing. I don't know. There's, there's multiple things everyone's good at, okay? So stop being like, I'm not good at anything. We all have gifts. We all have gifts. What, what's a spiritual gift all about? It's a spiritual gift, right? Right? So all good things come from our Heavenly Father above. Nothing is of ourselves. So by admitting our weakness, by admitting that nothing is good from ourselves or about ourselves, then we can truly cling to the Lord and be given His strength. That's how God works. He's like, until you get down on your knees, whether physically or not, in your heart, Until you get down on your knees, I can't do anything with you. I can't save you. I can't give you my strength and my Holy Spirit and put words in your mouth when it's the time to defend me. But when we're down on our knees, when we admit our weakness, like fully and completely, then we're moldable clay. And he can say, all right, watch this. Watch what I make out of you. Satan's going to be pissed off. He's going to be befuddled, confused, angry, bitter that that God used you, a filthy, disgusting sinner, saved you, even though you didn't deserve it one iota, and then made something of you to actually do supernatural things that only is possible when we admit our weakness and let God go to work. So let's close with a passage, a beautiful passage we read on Sunday. Well, at least read part of it. Go to Romans 15.1. Romans 15.1. Hmm. How grateful should we be just that God is a God of grace? And mercy. I think about that quite often. Think about all the things I've done or things I've thought or things I've said. And I'm like, oh, thank you for holding back. I mean, really his mercy. And, and that's, that's what God, that's admitting our weakness right there too, right? Like humbling ourselves before him. When we do that, he can use us. When we don't do that, you know, we're getting in the way. We're clinging to the flesh. Romans 15, 1. Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. So this is talking about being strong spiritually, which is by being weak, right? By surrendering to Christ. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good to his edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, The reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Now look at verse 4. For whatever is written or was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. Where are you going to get hope from besides the Scriptures? Nowhere. Through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. The word delivers us. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus, so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. How sad it is when we don't accept one another. Isn't it? Because Christ accepted you. You. Filthy, disgusting sinner. All of us. He accepted you. How can we not forgive one another, for example? It's unbelievable. We're unbelievable. Verse 7, Therefore accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers and for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy as it is written, therefore, I will give praise to you among the Gentiles and I will sing to your name again. He says in verse 10, rejoice, O Gentiles with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. Again, Isaiah says, there shall come the root of Jesse, and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a mouthful. There's a passage to go home and just, you know, dwell upon. Eat it up on your own time. Do you allow these types of scriptures to give you hope? We'll close this way. Do you allow these types of scriptures to give you hope? Or do you read them like you already know them? Or do you read them like maybe it's not the word of God? What's going on in your heart? Again, another great thing about God's word is it records the horrible failures of man along the way without apology, without covering them up. And the failures of the apostles give us hope that God can use us too. So do these kinds of scriptures give you hope that God hasn't forgotten about you? He's not like down on you even. He knows you're nothing. And he transformed you when you trusted in Christ. He made you something. He made you new, brand new. And now he's actually willing to use you. Do these kind of scriptures give you hope? Do you think about the fact that the same God who has forgiven you has given you the privilege to be used in his plan? For example, to be an ambassador. Who are you that Christ would send you to the earth and allow you to speak his holy message who are you it's like if the president called you up today and said hey you know what i want you to go represent the united states in israel or in whatever kenya or whatever country you want i want you to go represent america in another country that's what much more god has done for you each and every one of us do you think about that fact that the same God who's forgiven you has given you the privilege to serve Him in that type of a way? Do you appreciate the patience and gentleness of God towards you and that He is the God of hope? These are all truths found in Holy Scripture that a lot of religious people don't know or believe. So God has called us out to be His soldiers. And he's with us every step of the way, helping us in everything we do. So, as it says in 1 Thessalonians, Mm -hmm. rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in everything, including the fact that we have the Holy Word of God at our fingertips every day, anytime we want it, that has the truth, that doesn't lie to us. Do we live like that and appreciate that every day? That God even thought about us. Forget giving us all the answers to the final exam, so to speak. So really just praise God for his grace and mercy. He let you be a part of his plan. How ridiculous is that? So let's bow our heads on that note. Father, we thank you so much for your amazing grace plan. It's really beyond what we could ever imagine. We thank you for using us, for letting us be your ambassadors and calling us to be soldiers for Christ. And Father, we know you'll give us the courage and the faith to speak up when needed. You'll even give us the words by your Holy Spirit. We know you're faithful like that and we rely on you, Father, right now according to your word to give us this power and humility and ability through your Spirit. Most of all, Father, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, who made this all possible, who gave himself up on the cross and paid our debt in full so that whoever trusts in him will never perish but has eternal life. Father, we ask that you help us bring this good news out to a lost and dying world that needs it so desperately and is trapped in religion. Help us share the truth in love. We ask these things in Christ's precious name, and it's by the power of your spirit we pray. Amen.